everybody, it's James Lindsay. You're listening to the New Discourses podcast. I'm happy to uh, introduce something to you today. I've got a new book coming. I'm just going to go ahead right out of the gate and read to you the opening paragraph. American education is in the grip of a religious cult. What started in the 1990s as a small group of abnormal, weird, and deviant disciples has since ballooned into a tremendous political force in our schools. This cult preaches a new religion of sex, gender, and sexuality, and they use school policy and teaching practices to brainwash children into their poisonous doctrine. This cult has long known that classrooms are fertile recruiting grounds with soft, vulnerable targets. Today, children across America find themselves under the spell of queer theory. So that's the opening paragraph to a new book that we're putting out at New Discourses. I have contributed to this book, though I'm not the lead author. As you can tell, the writing is very uh, accessible and clear, and it's actually headed up by a guy named Logan Lansing that you may or may not have heard of before. You may have seen him on Twitter at Logan Lansing. You may also have uh, encountered his earlier book, which is called Woke Warpath, um, which is worth checking out if you haven't seen it. And what I want to do in this podcast is just introduce this new title that we're bringing out, tell you a little bit of the backstory, how it came to be, and how Logan and I ended up working together, and then talk a little bit about like what it's trying to accomplish. And I'm actually going to um, give you, a number of people have read it early, I'm actually going to let you hear what some of the people have been saying about it. Uh, For example, um, the very uh, famous character that on, on Twitter that many of you will know and love or famous more for her uh, substack, hollymathnerd.substack.com, the so-called character Holly Mathnerd, said, One thing that Lansing and Lindsay accomplish in this book is to take the intuitively obvious notion that all of this nonsense has its roots in commie bullshit and provide clear, specific explanation for why that intuition is true. And so there, it turns out... I have a lot of these, and I'm very flattered and excited, so thank you, Holly, for that. Uh, I'm not going to read through all 17 pages of them that we actually have received so far, but I'll read another one real quick from the inimitable She Van Fleet, who is a friend of mine and the author of Mao's America, uh, which is a book I wrote the foreword to that I recommend so you can understand that we're going through a Maoist cultural revolution. She said, Mark Twain famously said, History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Modern-day queer identity politics in America definitely rhymes with Mao's class-based identity politics. Both share the goal of dividing people and setting them against each other. Queer theory also rhymes with Mao's war against traditional Chinese values, including gender roles. Mao wanted to create a genderless society where there was no difference between men and women, while American Marxists wanted to create a society with endless genders. Queer theory also rhymes with Maoism, which aims to abolish truth and reality and make the state the only arbiter of what is real and what is right. The queering of America is Maoism with American characteristics. So those are powerful words when you think about it. She survived the Cultural Revolution in China, uh, made it out intact, came to America, and now she says repeatedly that she finds herself being put through another cultural revolution and she wants to stop it. She says that this queer identity politics, or queer theory, which is what we're talking about in the book, is intrinsic to this second 
cultural revolution that she's being subjected to, that it's uh, the American cultural revolution. She says right there, the queering of America, which is what the book is describing, is Maoism with American characteristics. And that should be taken very seriously because that's really what we're up against. So I'll tell you a little bit about how this book came to be um, after a quick little outline to it. Basically, what the goal of this book is, is to introduce the reader in an accessible way to queer theory and its injection into education. That means it has to introduce what queer theory is, how queer theory operates, what critical pedagogy is, or the critical theory of education, how queer education comes about by injecting queer theory into critical education, and then how this is actually practiced on our children, including institutional capture, including even to the point of trying to capture developmental psychology and overcoming parental resistance very explicitly. And so um, it's, an, it, it's a pretty focused book that covers an awful lot of background material. And just to brag on Logan, who wrote it, wrote Logan Lansing, the, it's, it's unbelievably accessible. Um, it's, it's a joy to read. Actually, if I can find it quickly, I should find my own blurb that I wrote a blurb for this book, honestly, uh, which kind of gives away that I really am not the key author to this book. Um, that's Logan's work and his, his writing is very clear. I said, this book is so much better than it would have been if I had tried to write it myself. Logan Lansing presented me with an amazing manuscript, and it was a pleasure to develop it with him in his clear, readable voice. That's the key part, in his clear, readable voice, not my complicated theoretical voice. It is the easily digestible version of exactly what I would have wanted to say about this issue. So that's my blurb for a book that my name happens to be on the, the cover of. But it just gives you some sense that, that this book is not your typical James Lindsay product. It's very readable. A lot of the commentary that we received about it is how readable and accessible it is, how every parent will understand it. What, what Logan told me personally was that he wrote every single paragraph of this book thinking of his father. If his father would be able to understand what's written in that paragraph, then that paragraph was acceptably clear. If his father would struggle to understand what was written in that paragraph, that paragraph needed more work to be made more clear. That was the basic rubric by which he decided uh, whether or not the paragraphs were clear enough to read. And that's very important because queer theory is virtually impossible to read. Queer theory is, by design, very difficult to read, very um, unpleasant to read, not just because it's difficult, not just because it's silly, but because it's often gross. Um, I can't even repeat to you, and we have a couple of quotes in there that when the audiobook comes out are going to have to have a lot of bleeps in them because they're just really, it's just not appropriate. <laughs> and they're not even the most kind of um, explicit quotes. Uh, I could go on and on. I'll probably read to you in, in this episode a little bit from uh, David Halperin's St. Foucault. Uh, but if you happen to pick up a copy of David Halperin's 1995 book, St. Foucault, which is also the book in which the word queer gets its original definition, I encourage you, if you get a PDF of that book at least, to do a keyword search in the book for the phrase anal yoga. I will allow your mind to wander to glorious places trying to figure out what in the world he might have discussed under that heading. But he discussed that topic for 
several pages in rather glorious detail. Uh, I won't elaborate further because that's the nature of queer theory. It's very difficult even to talk about queer theory without having to dip into things that are very ugly and uncomfortable. This book does that, but without losing itself, without getting gratuitous. And again, all credit goes to Logan Lansing for the clear, accessible prose that makes this book work. So let me tell you the story of this book. So I knew who Logan was, and um, I've done some. I've interacted with him quite a bit on Twitter. And so one day he sends me this manuscript. He says, hey, I wrote a book. I want you to look at it. Tell me if there's anything that you can do with it. And so I thought, yeah, right, okay, <sighs> this again. So if you don't know, this kind of thing happens. I have a lot to do, and then suddenly I get things like entire books thrown in my lap that I wish I had more time for that I don't. Um, he's just some guy actually hiding behind what looks like it. he's got an, not a picture of himself, but kind of an anonymous avatar on Twitter. I don't really know who he is. He's got some very very insightful and smart tweets, but I don't really know who this guy is, and he wants to send me a book. I say, okay, he sends me the book, he emails me the book. So I have the book, and I think, ah, turns out, I don't remember if it was the same day or at the same time. I think I even told him I'm crazy busy right now. I don't know when I'm going to have time. I think he sent it to me in the midst, at the beginning of this total blitz of travel that I had uh, last year, late in 23 through um, September, October, and November, I actually had an absurd number of trips. I mean, I had October has 31 days, and I had 30 flights in October to give you an idea of how busy I was. September and November up until Thanksgiving were roughly the same. And I think it was at the beginning of that, knowing how much travel I had coming, that he sends me this book. So I'm on a plane, and I pull this book out, and I decide to read it, and I'm reading this thing. I remember it was dark, so it was a nighttime flight, and I'm reading this book, and I'm like, holy crap, this is really good. <laughs> this is shockingly easy to read. It's hard to put down. I'm actually interested, and here and there I'm thinking, wow, he could benefit from this. There could point out that. We could add this. If he mentioned this or that here, it would really uh, develop what he's saying. Wow, right here, if he put this piece in from the Drag Queen Story Hour paper, it would blow this whole uh, point he's making wide open for people. And I thought, wow, I can really contribute to this. And and Logan's work was uh, already something, or what my blurb said it was. It was that if this was the book that I was going to write about this subject, noticing that a lot of the ideas paralleled with things that were in some of the podcasts that I've published, this was the book I would write. But it's better than the book I could write but we could really add some points. So I contacted Logan almost immediately. I was like, okay, so your book is a lot better than I thought. There's room to develop it. What are your publication plans? And he said back to me that he planned to self-publish it. And I asked him if he wanted to maybe publish it with new discourses and if he would be willing to um, take not just my suggestions, but take me on as a collaborator. And it turns out that was the right way to frame what happened next because through my suggestions and then getting the wording right and then developing the text, we actually doubled the length of the text. So Logan provides the, uh, his original intention was a short, very easy to read guide to queer theory that anybody could pick up and understand any parent. He's a parent of two young children himself. If I've got the number of kids he's got right, uh, just a normal dad that stumbled into this. I'll tell his story a little bit, but he's got a podcast. I'm going to direct people to that soon. Uh, called the Lansing 
um, where he can tell his own story better. But anyways, uh, he's just this dad and he's written this short accessible book. And so his contribution is the short accessible, uh, no, his contribution is the accessible clear language. My contribution was making it twice as long as it normally I tend to do. And so now it's still short. It's actually um, within a few hundred words of the same length as the Marxification of Education, which I published last year about Paulo Freire and critical pedagogy, which is therefore relevant background reading to this book. But it's about 10 times easier to read. So it's, as many people have said, a literal page turner. It's hard to put down uh, once you get started. Um, A lot of you will know the character... Deb Philman. She's got her podcast out there. She's prominent on Twitter. She talks about education a lot. Um, so just to give you an idea of how it is a page turner, when I gave her a copy of it early, here's some of the things she texted to me that she doesn't know that I recorded as blurbs. This book is so effing good. I'm only one chapter in, but I can't put it down. And I have to in order to try to get stuff done today. A few minutes later, Honestly, it's just so damn good. Now, she was much more polite, and she gave a much more formal uh, summary of this. She said, of the book, she said, as irrefutably argued as it is easy to read, here's hoping Lansing and Lindsay soon find themselves using these pages as expert witness testimony in a long overdue establishment clause violation lawsuit. If you find yourself, if you feel yourself, sorry, slipping beneath the waves of a sea of insanity every time the subject of gender identity comes up, this book is your life raft. She went on later to add, I have read this book and it is my sincere belief, she put this on Twitter, that you won't truly understand how to protect your children from the cult of queer theory without reading it. If you're worried, it will be hard to read or require a lot of background understanding of philosophy or theory. Let me reassure you. This book is an easily accessible page-turner. I couldn't put it down. I thought I knew a lot about this topic and would just be nodding along, but whoa. Logan Lansing opened my eyes to the frighteningly effective way the cult operates to recruit and retain its victims. If you're a parent, this is a must-read. Must is all in caps. Read it, and trust me, you will want to talk about it afterwards. Um, I may have been on my flight out to to Alberta to do my talks in Alberta. I'm not sure what I was, which flight I was on. That flight kind of fits the right time frame. I don't know, plus or minus. But soon, around the time when I discovered or had this manuscript sent to me, I was flying out to Alberta to work with a guy there doing Take Back Alberta, which is a very, very successful political campaign happening in Alberta that is swinging politics there. And we all see specifically with that government that they uh, work with, Daniel Smith's uh, government in Alberta, that they are pushing back on transgender medicine like nowhere else in Canada and in like few places, if any places in America. It's, I think the most strident stance against these harmful ideas is coming out of Daniel Smith's Alberta. So David Parker also said the same kind of thing. Now, not quite as verbose as Deb. Um, Maybe this is a male-female moment. Turns out the sexes are different. David, man of few words, said, dude, this book is really good. I'm impressed. You guys boiled it down into understandable chunks. That's what I'm telling you is again and again and again, these reviews that these early readers have provided 
keep harping on or keep coming back to how easy it is to read, how easy it is to understand. And that's, again, testament to Logan's writing style and not mine. Um, So he took his own ideas, his own research, which was substantial, combined it with many of my ideas and made it readable to where normal people and not academics can read it, which is an amazing feat that has needed to happen. This is the crossover hit that we've been waiting for forever. Uh, James Lindsay, understandable, but with his own research. And I'll tell you, his research floored me. Now, why was Logan Lansing researching queer theory? Average guy, going about his business. Why is he researching queer theory? Just for fun? Is it because he's a anti-LGBTQ hate monster? No, of course not. It's because he has small children. And if, like Billboard Chris has related about his own personal story, Chris Elston, if you don't know who Billboard Chris is, you should check him out. He's amazing. Billboard Chris's story is similar. He has young children too. His story is that he encountered the term puberty blockers. And like he says, like any normal person would do, he said, what are those? What are puberty blockers? So he went home and he looked it up and sure enough, they are exactly what they sound like. Having two young girls, he immediately became concerned for the future health of his young girls and started to go uh, on his one man crusade in his unique style, wearing sandwich boards to point out that children cannot consent to puberty blockers and that a dad is defined as a human adult male who protects his children from gender ideology. Logan's story turns out to be similar. He has young children. He became aware of queer theory through one avenue or another, so he decided he should probably start reading it. In a world where queer theory exists, when you have children, it might be worth your time and concern to find out what they're up against. The old saying is that you should prepare your child for the road, not prepare the road for your child. Well, I'll tell you what, the queer theorists have prepared the road for your child, and if you don't have them prepared for that road, they're in trouble. Logan Lansing understood that, and so Logan Lansing started to read queer theory, and what Logan Lansing started to read when he started to read queer theory dropped his jaw, because it's horrifying. You can, can't get away from themes of bizarre sexuality, pedophilia, bestiality. I mean, you name it. You name it. And what you immediately come back with is a clear understanding that there are no brakes on the, on the queer theory train. That queer theory is designed to oppose limiting principles on principle. There's nothing to stop it from going. You pick the horrifying sexual outcome that society could teeter into, and queer theory is guaranteed with a 100% probability of going there eventually, because queer theory is defined specifically as that which is opposed to the normal and the legitimate. Maybe you think, James, that's going too far. That's ridiculous. So I'll come to St. Foucault, as I mentioned, and I'll read to you the page upon which queer is defined. St. Foucault by David Halperin is a book in the field of queer theory. That book is the book that gives the first definition of the word queer in the sense that we use it in queer theory. Queer theory got its name in 91, 2, or 3, thereabouts. 95, it's outlined in this book what it means. And this is the paragraph, and it gives you a sense of everything I'm talking about. It starts off making a very clear statement. David Halpern makes a very clear statement that queer doesn't mean gay. 
In fact, they're not even related to one another. It starts off with the sentence, Unlike gay identity, which, though deliberately proclaimed in an act of affirmation, is nonetheless rooted in the positive fact of homosexual object choice, queer identity need not be grounded in any positive truth or in any stable reality. This is the kind of thing where you pause like Deb and say, whoa, what? So it's not like gay identity because gay identity is rooted in a, he says, positive fact of homosexual object choice. Gay people are actually gay. It refers to something in reality. It's a positive truth about who they are. He says, that's not how queer works. Unlike gay identity, which works that way, Queer identity, he says, need not be grounded in any positive truth or in any stable reality. He goes on, As the very word implies, queer does not name some natural kind or refer to some determinate object. It acquires its meaning from its oppositional relation to the norm. Queer is by definition whatever is at odds with the normal, the legitimate, and the dominant. Oh no, James didn't make it up. James said exactly what was in the book. It is whatever is at odds with the normal and the legitimate. That's in his own words. He then says in all italics, there is nothing in particular to which it necessarily refers. It is an identity without an essence. What he goes on to say next is, in fact, it's not even really an identity. An identity has something to do with who you are. He's actually already said it's not who you are. It's more like oppositional defiant disorder turned into a political philosophy. But what he goes on to say is queer then demarcates not a positivity, that means something real, demarcates not a positivity but a positionality vis-a-vis -vis the, normative, the normative. That means it demarks a politics. It doesn't tell you something about the person in reality. It tells you about their politics, their positionality vis-a-vis -vis the normative. What that means is that there is a concept of normativity out in the world. Some people get to consider themselves normal and other people fall outside of that. Their position is outside of the normal. They're queer. That's what he's saying there. So there is a privileged group of oppressors who define normal to include themselves and an oppressed group of queer people, deviants, weirdos, perverts, who are positioned outside of the realm of normalcy, the range of normalcy, to disenfranchise them from society. In other words, as Logan and I make the argument very clearly in this book, according to Holly Mathnerd and her, her review she's written about the book, this is the most elucidating part for her of the book is how clearly we make the point that queer theory is actually queer Marxism. And that's what he's saying here. Queer then demarcates not a positivity, in other words, not something real about a person, but a positionality that is a political positioning vis-a-vis -vis the normative, in other words, defined in terms of who gets to be normal. In other words, he says, a positionality that is not restricted to lesbians and gay men. See, it's not about being gay at all. At all. It's not restricted to lesbians and gay men, but is in fact available to anyone who is or who feels marginalized because of her or his sexual practices. It could include some married couples without children, for example, 
or even who knows, some married couples with children, with perhaps very naughty children. Very naughty is in italics. What's he talking about there? What is he talking about there? Why is that there? Queer, he says, in any case, does not designate a class of already objectified pathologies or perversions. Rather, it describes a horizon of possibility whose precise extent and heterogeneous scope cannot in principle be delimited in advance, has no limiting principles by definition. It is, uh, it is from the eccentric positionality occupied by the queer subject that it may become possible to envision a variety of possibilities for reordering the relations among sexual behaviors, erotic identities, constructions of gender, forms of knowledge, regimes of enunciation, logics of representation, modes of self-constitution, and practices of community, for restructuring, that is, the relations among power, truth, and desire. That's queer theory. That's the definition of queer. That's what is meant by queer. And that is the kind of thing, although not so specifically, that Logan Lansing stumbled upon as a man who is now trying to figure out what to do raising children in a world where this ideology exists and where this ideology clearly targets children. Because in fact, he didn't stumble upon St. Foucault in the beginning. What he stumbled upon, if I have his story right, is a book in queer education, or at least very early in his reading. He stumbled upon a book in queer education, perhaps uh, one that contained the this essay called, um, what's it called? Against Repetition by Kevin Kumashiro. Now let's talk about Against Repetition. First of all, what's Kevin Kumashiro talking about with Against Repetition? As you've heard, Marxists in general, queer theorists included, believe that society reproduces itself from one generation to another through the social reproduction uh, of forces of socialization. So normal people teach their kids to be normal and to dislike queer people, and you have the reproduction of heteronormativity, transnormativity, and so on. That's how they think society works. So this is an essay called Against Repetition. It's how do you break out of the reproduction of normalcy in society. And what Kevin Kumashiro wrote, this was in 2002, to give you an idea of how long ago that this was the idea of queer education. Remember, Halperin wrote the definition of queer in 95. Teresa De Laurentiis gave the, the idea that to call this school of thought queer theory in 91 or 92, 93, one of the three, I forget which year, 92 plus or minus one to be a mathematician about it. And so here's something in Against Repetition, Kevin Kumashiro writes specifically. And we quoted this in the book. Repeating what is already learned can be comforting and therefore desirable. Students learning things that question their knowledge and identities can be emotionally upsetting. For example, suppose students think society is meritocratic, but learn that it is racist. Or think that they themselves are not contributing to homophobia, but learn that they, in fact, are. In such situations, students learn that the ways they think and act are not only limited, but also oppressive. Learning about oppression and about the ways they often unknowingly comply with oppression can lead students to feel paralyzed with anger, sadness, anxiety, and guilt. 
it can lead to a form of emotional crisis. Once in a crisis, a student can go in many directions, some that may lead to anti-oppressive change, others that may lead to a more entrenched resistance. Therefore, educators have a responsibility not only to draw students into a possible crisis, but also to structure experiences that can help them work through their crises productively. Did you catch that? What he said is that doing woke education puts kids into identity crisis. Queer theory in particular, since it's an identity without an essence, destabilizes the idea of gender and self themselves, and it also introduces sexuality to them at too early of an age and in a very complicated way that can induce them into a form of emotional crisis. And the teacher is, in his own words, he said, educators have a responsibility not only to draw students into a possible crisis, but also to structure experiences that can help them work through their crises productively. Now imagine you are a young father of two young children reading that. And that's the road that you have to prepare your kids to walk. I think that we call that a shit-your-pants moment. That's why he decided it was time to study queer theory. So he started to read a lot of sources in queer theory that I had not read. He sent me sources in queer theory prior to sending me this book that I had not seen, including Kevin Kumashiro here, and some other crazy books about kayaks and so on. It's really, they love boats. Boats are going places. And he started to research queer theory. Meanwhile, I'm researching all of this and have taken my research, as many of you all know, now into comparing it to Maoism. So when I read Kumashiro for the first time in this context, which is when I didn't read it when in this, and in, 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 I was didn't read it when he sent me the paper, as I probably should have. I read it when I read his manuscript. And I thought, oh my God. And this is this is Mao. I said this process in context is what they call gender-affirming care. Gender-affirming care is leading children into identity crisis and then structuring experiences that can help them work through their crises in a way that takes them toward the queer horizon that, uh, that uh, David Halpern was talking about in St. Foucault. In Mao's China, this wasn't called gender-affirming care it was called, I'm going to butcher the Chinese, Xi Xiang Gai Zhao, which means ideological transformation or ideological remolding. Sometimes it could be called Xi Now, which means brainwashing. Think of how often you hear woke people in general and even the climate change people and the Democrats more broadly, but more specifically the queer theory people, talk about transformation, the transformation of individuals, the transformation of institutions, the transformation of society, transform, transform, transformative, transforming, always transform, transform, transformation, ideological transformation. Xixiang Gai Sao, which means thought reform, which if you followed my podcast about Robert Lifton, you'll know how alarming the idea that gender-affirming care equals Maoist thought reform with regard to sexuality and something called gender identity. But the thing is, is that these things like gender identity and queer identities in general aren't identities at all. We just heard that from David Halperin. They're not essential identities. Sex is an essential identity. It's intrinsic to your person. It cannot be changed, contrary to what they hope and believe. 
Queer identities, gender identity, is a political stance. That's what we get from David Halperin. That's very, very clear. And so our collab here, putting this together, really started to reveal that. And so I'll read to you a little bit more from the uh, introduction. I'm actually going to skip a lot of it because I don't want to give away the whole story. I want you to read it. It's very heavily framed, though, in terms of queer theory being the doctrine, as you heard already from the first paragraph, of a religious cult. In fact, a Gnostic cult. So we can say queer theory, but we could say queer Marxism for reasons that make a lot of sense, or we could say queer Gnosticism, as the book will make absolutely clear. And so what Logan wrote very clearly in this introduction included also this. Like all cult recruiters, queer activists use emotionally manipulative methods to control cult members and recruit new outer school initiates. For instance, the cult love bombs potential recruits with affection and praise. Queer activists welcome recruits into a safe and inclusive environment where they feel like they are the most important people in the world and in which they are protected from ideas that might challenge cult doctrine, something experts in cult psychology call milieu control. The cult preys on the confused, vulnerable, and disenfranchised with a siren's call of total affirmation. Initiates in the outer school feel euphoric when they find the cult, a feeling that is typical of stepping into any cult, at least initially. Queer activists offer them solutions to resolve all of their confusion, alienation, loneliness, and pain, an affirming social environment, and something to do that feels meaningful and productive. Love bombing is a part of the positive part of a cyclical process of abuse, during cult initiation. The negative part of the cycle involves deliberately inducing trauma to create conditions of vulnerability, embarrassment, and even humiliation. Taken together, the cycle of abuse is called trauma bonding, and queer activists skillfully deploy it as a mechanism to initiate and control cult members. So think of what we just talked about with Kevin Kumashiro. Think of that background, and then think about what you just heard. That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. A cyclical process in which kids are abused and led into emotional and identity-based crisis, and then they are facilitated in a productive, so-called productive direction through that. And then they are affirmed and celebrated with ideological transformation and remolding techniques to bring them out of that vulnerability, embarrassment, and humiliation, which is called trauma bonding, which is a cult initiation and commitment bearing technique. That's what gender-affirming care is really about. Gender-affirming care is the cult brand name for that, which is part of the thought reform process, which is part of what what led people into, uh, in China, into Maoism. That was the project. And so we talk a little bit throughout this introduction, what does that internal work look like? What does the external work look like? You know, what are they giving these kids to do? What is, why is there so much social activism? Um, Queer activists, he says, train, or we say, I guess, train people to feel vulnerable by teaching them to look for oppression in everything. In this way, queer theory sells both a problem and the solution to that problem because the cult is obsessed with the logic of the circle. This is what we're trying. Are you hearing? I think what I really want to have stick out is just how clearly accessible this language is. But, um, 
you know, since it's a religious kind of phenomenon, a cult kind of phenomenon, I wanted to give you some sense of what, uh, you know, Christians have, have let some Christians, of course, read this book. I like Christians, and Christians uh, have had some very interesting things and important things to say about it. There's a pastor I'm friends with out in Arizona by the name of John Benzinger. He's the lead pastor at Redeemer Bible Church in Gilbert, Arizona, which is, if you remember, where I gave my lecture series, both of them, two of them, so six lectures in total, two hours apiece, on the Gnostic roots of Marxism. Uh, the Theology of Marxism series, and then uh, the follow-up on where I went very deeply into the idea of it being a Gnostic, uh, a Gnostic project, uh, where I have the picture of myself with a, a Roboros behind me as one of the images. What John Benzinger had to say about this book, he said, like getting a cancer diagnosis, this book is terrifyingly necessary. Queer activism is a fast-moving, widespread disease in the American school system. Unless it is decisively exposed and radiated, it will infect our kids and grandkids with devastating effects that will last for generations. This book is the radiation that the whole system needs. No matter who you are, you need what it says. Give it to administrators and school board members. I hope it has the widest possible reading. The stakes are that high. So that's a quite an endorsement, and I'm grateful to John for it. I want to find another one by another pastor that's friends with me, and then I guess in full disclosure, he's friends with uh, Pastor Benzinger as well, and that is um, my friend Andy Woodard. And uh, so he said a number of things because I've stole some of his uh, his commentary from text messages in addition to his formal comment. Um, he said it's a page turner. That's one thing he mentioned in the text. He also texted me, he said, and this is what I really want to harp on, but I'll read his proper uh, endorsement as well. But he said, I think this is a an extremely important book. The Christian community is totally ignorant of the things it addresses. I think that's such an important thing to point out. So you have a pastor in a conservative church in Manhattan. So he's Reverend Andy Woodard, pastor at Providence Reformed Baptist Church in Manhattan, New York City. And he says, the Christian community is totally ignorant of the things it addresses. He says, this book meets the need of the hour. Simply put, society has gone mad, and queer theory is one of the major weapons of choice designed to cripple Western society today. This book is a must-read for everyone who has kids and who doesn't have kids. This book is a must-read for both those who live in the United States and those who live outside of the United States. This book is a must-read for those who identify with their biological sex, as well as for those who have a gender identity that they made up. In summary, if you have a pulse, you need to read this book. Um, another popular voice in Christian circles is uh, the inimitable Daryl Harrison, who is a co-host of the Just Thinking podcast. He's also now on the pastoral staff at Redeemer Bible Church in Gilbert with Pastor John Benzinger, and he wrote, The Queering of the American Child is one of the most honest, candid, and blunt treatments of the queer theory movement you will ever come across. With unmitigated courage and conviction, Lansing and Lindsay audaciously exposit the diabolical tenets that comprise the queer theory agenda in a way that leaves no ambiguity as to its injurious aims and designs for society's children. Well, we just heard what those were. It's to drag them into a cult, right? That's what this is really about. It's to drag them into a cult. We're hearing about leading them into intentional identity crisis to get them to adopt a political identity through trauma bonding and cult milieu control. 
This is extremely important to understand. This is why Stella O'Malley, for example, who uh, is at the top of uh, president of Genspect, a psychotherapist from, from Ireland, wrote that the queering of the American child is a compelling must-read for every person scratching their head and wondering what on earth has happened to society in recent years. I wish I could do it in her Irish accent. This book provides an incisive account of the devastating influence of queer theory, both within pedagogy and psychology. Peeling back the layers of the colonization of queer theory, the reader comes to understand how public order has been broken down through nefarious means. Yeah, like cult indoctrination. Sorry, Stella, not to interrupt. If you want to understand queer theory and how it impacts, read this book. Um, moms are saying the same thing. I'll read another one. I don't know how many more of these I might come back to, but I don't want to bog you down with testimonials, but it's just exciting for me to hear this much positive stuff. So there's a woman, she's uh, the chapter chair of Moms for Liberty in Tulsa County, Oklahoma. Her name's Janice Danforth. I've worked with Janice a number of times over the years. She's a wonderful woman. She does wonderful work. She said, I just finished reading the book, The Queering of the American Child, and it is amazing. All caps on amazing, just to give us that. I feel like all of these bits and pieces of knowledge I have were put together to complete a puzzle. The more I learn, the more I am determined to fight this battle for our children, and reading this book fueled that fire even more. One sentence that stuck out to me was, quote, intentionally placing children into crisis is child abuse, end quote. This is exactly what's happening. Those fighting to queer our children are constantly placing them into crisis, into chaos, honestly for their own satisfaction, and it is child abuse. This book, I believe, will enlighten many and help parents understand what is happening to our youth in America and how to fight against it. Thank you for the opportunity to read this early, and I am eager to purchase it for myself and others when it goes to print. As always, I appreciate you and what you are doing so much. You keep me going, and I genuinely mean that. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. That's extremely kind. So this book, this is the kind of impact, though, that this book is having, and uh, all credit to, I mean, I got credit there, I think, from Janice, but all credit goes, honestly, to Logan, who's written this thing so, so clearly. Here's another piece from the, the introduction to give you a sense of it. Queer theory demands total submission and obedience. Queer activists isolate, punish, and exclude anyone who contradicts cult doctrine, ritual, or practice. Family and friends are no exception. If they have a problem with the cult, the cult has a problem with them. The cult psychologically conditions cult members to abandon their loved ones who don't affirm and celebrate an initiate's spiritual awakening. This dynamic guarantees a sense of alienation and isolation, together with a belief that only the cult can provide the initiate with friends or comrades, acceptance, a sense of social identity and belonging, and a safe refuge from rejection and loneliness. That's important stuff. That's important stuff. This is how queer theory works, and this is why Logan was compelled to write this book, and this is why I was compelled to jump in and help him uh, develop it. I want this book to get to people to help them understand, because he's he just explains that all of this abuse comes from narcissism. Then he says the cult of queer theory is extremely narcissistic. There's no pulling punches here. Cult members are excessively interested in themselves, their appearance, and their religious practices. Queer activists are control freaks, and they use cognitive dissonance to recruit new members that they want to control. For instance, the cult will tell a girl that although she looks like a girl, she may be a boy on the inside because she plays with certain toys. 
This generates anxiety and discomfort in the child who doesn't understand how she can be a boy while looking like a girl. The cult takes advantage of this new vulnerability to brainwash the child. Queer activists tell her that evil spirits, that is, social constructions, control the world, unfairly labeling children boys and girls and determining everyone's beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors. The cult tells the child that she can reject this unjust and evil influence and begin to free herself from the prison she was born into. The cult tells her she can escape the evil spirits that control how she looks, loves, and acts. Queer activists coerce the child to take a bite of the apple, introducing her to a special cult knowledge of salvation. Now, I will say, if you've seen the cover of this book, it's glorious. It is, in fact, a picture of an apple that has a big bite taken out of it with the very iconic rainbow flag coloring the inside flesh of the apple. So here, the activists coerce the child to take a bite of the apple, introducing her to a special cult knowledge of salvation, indicating this is, in fact, a Gnostic cult, that it's referring to the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis, and tying that into the idea, of course, that the apple on the teacher's desk is part of the symbolism. So I've heard lots of compliments of the book. I've heard way more compliments about the cover, uh, which, by the way, Logan also uh, came up with the idea for that. We put it together and got it designed properly, but it was his vision and a uh, very talented man there. Um I want to skip forward a little bit. I don't want to read too much uh, about this cult stuff, but because the cult stuff is emphasized throughout the book, and it comes back. I wrote an afterword and talk about it on a very kind of deep and dorky level, a very difficult level compared to Logan's very clear prose, but I don't want to bog everybody down talking about that, but I'll read one more paragraph of this cult stuff, um, and then I'll, I'll skip forward down near the end of the introduction and, and wrap this up, but he says, Children targeted by the cult love their parents, but they also love the promise of salvation offered to them. The beliefs of their parents, it is suggested, if not outright said, contradict the cult's beliefs. Children learn that evil spirits control their parents. They believe that their parents will likely attempt to stop them from attempting their daring escape from the prison the evil spirits have constructed around them. A child must therefore choose between their parents and the cult to resolve their cognitive dissonance. Queer activists take advantage of this, offering children solutions to manage their crisis, including but not limited to adopting a secretive new cult identity at school, changing their name, using the opposite sex's bathrooms, and joining special cult clubs. By doing these things secretly, children aren't upsetting or alerting their parents. At the same time, children get to enjoy their new cult friends, and all of the love bombing those friends have in store for them. Queer activists tell children that queer theory is the only way to resolve their anxiety and fear. The cult tells kids that truly loving parents would want them to be happy, even if being happy means keeping secrets. This is probably why I've heard from so many people, uh, parents in particular who've read the book, who are just absolutely, uh, they, they said they thought it was bad and they had no idea how bad it is. That's a very, very, very common, um, a very, very common response that I'm hearing from parents. Some people are unfortunately saying that the book, how I'm not sure, cause it's very clear and very hopeful, but some people have mentioned that the book has black pilled them. They had no idea that it was this developed and this bad, but it is in fact, this developed and this bad, um, which is why, uh, for example, the um, 
I think he's editor-in-chief of the Epoch Times, Yanya Kellick, mentioned that uh, it's it's a truly wonderful and eye-opening book. Why that uh, moved over, actually reached Robert Malone, who asked me to uh, craft, which I, I brought in Logan's help, craft a piece of uh, written testimony for the U.S. Senate concerning this issue, which I'll be publishing a copy of on New Discourses shortly, probably out before this podcast, so you'll have seen it. Um, it's really intense, right? So <laughs> it's, it's, I, I don't want to keep bogging down with the black pill stuff, but you've really got to understand that it really is this bad. Um, Adrian Curry, America's uh, first America's top model, um, and wonderfully based individual also has read the book and she, she was really shocked at how, how much about queer theory she didn't know and how, uh, frightening some of this is particularly some of the stuff about the parents. Um, we have a lot of stuff in the book though, about how, for example, that Institutions like the American Psychological Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, American Medical Association, a lot of these others, also the U.S. Department of Education um, and their Office of Civil Rights, and lots of these major institutions with the, Dr. Robert Malone's um, Senate testimony that was re relevant to the, the World Health Organization, which is pushing gender-affirming care now. That, uh, that these institutions are actually a huge part of the problem. And it's true. Uh, these institutions, that and the schools, the, the teachers' unions, uh, should be places, these institutions should be protecting children. Our medical establishments, our school establishments should be protecting children. Our media environment should be more responsible. But let's say that they don't have the capacity. Let's say that Disney can't contain themselves from all this for whatever reason. Or that people are going to publish whatever kind of books they want to. You would think that the American Library Association, the U.S. Department of Education, the World Health Organization, all of these kinds of institutions, the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, American Academy of Pediatrics, you would think that those kinds of organizations would be on the front lines with parents to protect their children from this stuff, but in fact, they're all captured. And we spend a fair amount of time talking about that and why it is. To carry on, to give you another taste of the book, though... Here's, uh, again, no, no punches pulled from, from Logan and I guess me, but really Logan in particular. Um, Gender-affirming care, which is in quotes, is cult magic. That's the best way to describe it. Uh, record scratch, pause. No, calling it thought reform apparently is, but that's I wrote that later. I'm just kidding. I'm just going to read that part again. Gender-affirming care is cult magic. That's the best way to describe it. Like all cult magic, it plays on the social and emotional milieu to mystify its targets. I'll just parenthetically add the point of social-emotional learning is to control the social and emotional milieu, by the way. Back to us. As stated, gender-affirming care relies on psychological counseling to affirm the delusional state of the patient and social affirmation in addition to high commitment irreversible interventions like injections of hormones and hormone blockers and surgeries, all tailored to make the cult doctrine come true in the lives and bodies being practiced upon. 
Affirmation is the cult magical process, which is obvious when you realize that standard practice in medicine is to treat and hopefully cure pathological states, not affirm and further them. Sadly, there are powerful reasons that millions of doctors and mental health professionals now practice the magic. It makes you look progressive instead of bigoted, which is another cult magic spell. There's an enormous demand for it, and there's a ton of money in it. Queer activists have been casting spells on administrators, educators, and children for a long time. There is a reason why people in your life now think that sex, gender, and sexuality are muddy and confusing. Likewise, there is a reason educators fill your children's classrooms and libraries with pride flags and pornographic books. It would be unimaginable to think that schools would hide a social transition from parents in 1980. The terminology to describe such a situation didn't yet exist. There are reasons why all of this is happening, and this book will help you understand those reasons. What follows will help you understand what the cult of queer theory believes, where it comes from, how it got into schools, and what it's attempting to do with children. In part one, we will explain the problem in greater detail. We will also spend a significant amount of time discussing the theory of queer theory. It's going to get heavy. Narrator, no it's not. Logan made it so accessible that it's not heavy. But anyway, he's he's conditioning you, he's warning you. Trigger warning. It's going to get heavy, and we have all of the confidence in the world that we can make it through some difficult chapters together. Some people want the quick answers, the 30,000-foot summary. We'll cover that. But we'll also cover what queer theory is precisely. The people who have on- sorry, the people who have had only the quick answers have been bulldozed for decades because those people didn't understand what they were dealing with. It's one thing to understand what the cult is doing, and it's another to understand why it is doing what it is doing. If we don't understand the why, then we can't understand the how to reject the magic, protect our children from the cult, and start rebuilding our normal lives. In part two, we will explore how queer theory is practiced in schools. We'll rely heavily on the queer theory literature, using queer activists' own words to share how they practice queer theory on children. We'll touch on how queer activists structure their classrooms, how they teach children to practice queer theory on and for themselves, and how they put children into states of crisis that are then resolved through social and emotional learning, and how they navigate parental resistance by hiding the whole project from parents. We wrote The Queering of the American Child for anyone who wants to learn about the queering of children in our schools. That said, what follows is written with parents and grandparents in mind. I, Logan, am the parent of two young boys. I started researching what's happening in our schools in 2019 because my wife and I were preparing to be parents. I had seen enough in the news to know something was very wrong with our educational system. I've spent the last four years learning everything I can about queer theory. For most of this time, I have been nosed down in the primary source literature reading the cult doctrine on its own terms. I've worked countless hours to decipher the the cult's coded language, and I do mean coded. That's how the cultists describe it. I hope this book can, in many ways, serve as your dictionary so you can decode the language too. As we begin the the querying of the American child, we'd like believers and non-believers alike to consider the following question. 
What would you do if you thought your children were skipping school to join a religious cult? It's best to begin thinking about your answers now. So on that point about the practice of queer theory, I actually want to um, jump to, I mentioned that Holly Mathnard, I mentioned her very early in the podcast that she wrote a uh, Substack review on hollymathner.substack.com of the book. It's the first book review uh, of Queering of American Child that has come out. And I actually want to tell you what she said, if it'll let me open it. Um, tell you what, what she said about the practice, because I think it's extremely important to, to hear this. She starts her review, by the way, with a quote from us that's pretty good. Quote, people who have critical consciousness are religious fanatics hell-bent on breaking society and steering us toward the end of history. This is not hyperbole. So we actually said that. The way she starts off her review, though, and I'll, I'll take the liberty to read it, is critical race theory is a legal framework that's only taught in law school. This argument is the basis for nearly every defense of the current, current state of American schools. It's used about critical race theory. It's used about gender ideology. They're not teaching kids these things. That's a college-level topic. Okay, so here's what she says about the Montessori schools, because it's so useful, I want to repeat it here, and I hope she'll give me her permission later. Montessori schools are the counter-argument. Nearly everyone, this is Holly's words, has heard of Montessori schools, even if not everyone is familiar with what they are and why they're so widespread. Montessori schools are carefully curated environments filled with sensory-rich materials designed to stimulate children's curiosity. They are relaxed, independence-fostering spaces wherein children are given a high level of contact with nature with the goal of helping them develop a sense of responsibility for themselves in their own learning. Maria Montessori developed her educational philosophy over a long career that included many distinctions. She was one of the first women to attend medical school in Italy, and she published extensively. Montessori schools don't teach her philosophies. Students don't typically learn the history of her ideas or the reasoning behind why their classrooms are set up the way they are. Many students have no idea that Montessori is a person's name, much less that it's the name of a person whose philosophies and ideas are the reason behind every aspect of their school experience. That's because Montessori schools practice her ideas. They are living, breathing entities in which her ideas are embodied and practiced. The consequences of her ideas are integrated into the minds and hearts of her students, becoming part of their personalities and shaping their deepest selves as they grow. American public schools are exactly like Montessori schools for queer theory, critical race theory, and other subsets of Marxism. They practice it and integrate it into the hearts sorry, the minds, hearts, and personalities of the students without any need for explicit named instruction in the formal structure of the theories involved. There's your argument, by the way, if you ever need one, with it's not being taught. Critical race theory is not being taught. Queer theory is not being taught. Well, turns out the philosophy of Maria Montessori is not being taught at Montessori schools. It's being done. And the children are brought up in that philosophy. And in our schools, they're being brought up in the philosophy of queer theory, which is a cult indoctrination that's extremely dangerous for them. Another testimonial from a parent, for example, Meg Brock, who is a wonderful activist formerly in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, but she's moved south to South Carolina. She's uh, been involved with the Moms for Liberty. She's involved with other things. 
This book is amazing. It was very clear and easy to read and understand. It is an essential tool for anyone wanting to understand what queer theory is and how it captured our education system. A must-read for all parents. The Queering of the American Child equips the reader to understand what queer theory is and how it is endangering children. This book is a must-read for anyone looking to protect children from the dangers of transgender ideology. If you care about the well-being of children, go read this book. And so since it touched specifically on transgender ideology, I actually had a couple of detransitioners read the book. Isn't that spicy? So we've had a couple of detransitioners read the book. And so let me tell you uh, what Laura Becker said. She's a detransitioner. She's a writer. She's a speaker. She's working, I think, on a memoir about her transition situation. Um, she said a couple of things, uh, which are a little bit heavy. She says, as someone who regrets being trans, I wish I had read this book before I went through the surgery and the hormones. If I had understood how queer theory functions as a religious cult, I wouldn't have thought transition was a safe or effective way to treat my mental health issues. That's a fairly heavy statement. I think that's a fairly heavy statement to have to, you know, reckon with there. So from a detransitioner saying that, she went on though, she's very happy. She said, I'm so glad this book is being published. It will be handy to link to people, to link people to this, to understand the philosophical and political history of this sudden gender phenomenon. As a detransitioner, the querying of the American child is exactly what I've realized to be the truth about the gender scandal that I fell into. I urge anyone who is interested in the psychology around gender to read this book and understand the disgusting history of the queer movement. Um, so I hope that gives you a sense of what this book is about, how parents and others are reading it, receiving it. Um, my friend Brendan, Brandon Camping from Arizona, he came to one of my workshops early on in 21 wearing a Let's Go Brandon t-shirt, took a picture with him, put it on Twitter, finished the book. Holy shit, it's fantastic. Then he, he didn't know I stole his text, but then he said, Lansing and Lindsay's passionate pursuit to help us take down the queer theory cult aimed at our children is perfectly done in the querying of the American child. Brilliant, comprehensive, and eye-opening. Every parent, teacher, and administrator needs to read this book in order to combat queer theory, aka queer Marxism, before it's too late. It is a must-read for parents, teachers, and administrators wanting to understand, identify, and combat the cult of queer theory being hurled at our children in all areas of life, which is completely true that it's in every level, all areas of life, all the way across the board. So look forward on Twitter to more of these testimonials. There are lots and look forward to the book. I hope you will go pick it up. You can find it at queeringbook.com. That is queering, like a verb, like the queering of the American child queeringbook.com. It's by Logan Lansing and I. Uh, the publication date is the 29th of February, 2024. We picked the queerest day on the calendar because it's a leap year. Why not? Um, so run, don't walk, I suppose is what you're supposed to say to your favorite place. Pick up this book, tell your friends, tell other parents and teachers. It's, it's vitally important that we stop the queer theory agenda in our country. It's vitally important that we protect our children we wrote this book hoping it would help with that, and as you hear from some of the people who've already read it, it seems to be accomplishing that goal. I hope you will pick it up and read it. I hope you will share it with people. 
Because if enough of us realize what's going on, the polling is clear. People are not in agreement. They're just not clear on the issue. That's why people like Billboard Chris go around and wear the sandwich boards and talk to thousands of people because he's motivated by a simple belief that's confirmed in practice over and over and over again, which is that the overwhelming majority of people agree with him. They just don't know what's going on. This book is simple. It's clear, it's accessible, turns out it's horrifying, but it's also hopeful and it's going to tell you exactly what's going on. I'm very proud to have been uh, a part of this project. I'm very glad Logan asked me to participate uh, with him and invited me to do so. And I think that you will greatly enjoy the product. So thank you. Check it out. Queeringbook.com, The Queering of the American Child, uh, latest title from New Discourses. And for everybody who's going to ask, it might be delayed a little bit, but yes there will be an audiobook.